And so the prince married his true love, the Whirlpool 5000 washing machine. <laughs> who could have washed? <laughs> who could wash a couple of baskets of clothes at a time in as little as 15 minutes? Welcome back to Tales from the Enchanted Forest with your animal companions, Fox and Sparrow. Fox and Sparrow are back in the forest, y'all. Today, we are continuing the Norse story, East of the Sun, West of the Moon. If you haven't heard part one yet, make sure to go and check that out before continuing. We'll just wait here. Like, we're, we're serious. We, we have nowhere else to go. We'll, we'll wait. Previously on Tales from the Enchanted Forest. Our female protagonist, whom we have named Thordaughter, has agreed to live with a great white bear for the sake of her family. However, at night, a man appears and lays beside her, but he would disappear in the morning. Fearing this man was actually a troll, Thordaughter lit a candle one night and saw he was actually a handsome prince, and she immediately fell in love with him. But she accidentally spilled three drops of tallow on his shirt, which woke him up. He explained that this somehow ruined everything, and now he had to leave her to marry his stepmother's daughter, who has a nose three yards long. Thordaughter begged to know where she can find him and says that his stepmother's castle lies east of the sun and west of the moon. And that's where we pick up our story today. When Thordaughter woke the next morning, both the castle and the prince were gone. Instead, she found herself alone in a dark forest with her old rags she originally brought with her. But she was not giving up that easily. No, sir, it will take more than losing her castle, the love of her life, and being completely lost in the woods to take her down. I mean, of course she had like a good long cry, but then, soon after, she marches on. She walked many, many days until she came across a high cliff. She saw an old woman under it who was playing with a golden apple. Uh, the fruit, mind you, not like a new iPhone or anything like that. Thordaughter asked if she knew the way to the prince, who lived with his stepmother in the castle east of the sun and west of the moon, and who was to marry the princess with a nose three yards long. Why is she giving so many details to this old lady? Like, do you think if she said the exact same thing but didn't mention the length of the princess's nose... The old lady would tell her something different. I think people just know the princess from her big nose. And that's why her mom can't get her married to anyone. Because she goes, you want to marry my daughter? And everyone just goes, oh, you mean three centimeter nose lady? No, thank you. Three centimeter nose. This is three yards. It's a... Ah, three yards? Yeah, that's what they said, right? Yeah, no. I don't know why in my head I was like, yeah, centimeters are just yards. They're the same. No. How long are yards? <laughs> Because I've made that conversion in my head. Uh, let's look it up. Oh my god, three yards is 274 centimeters. This is a stupid long nose. How does she do anything? Like, she must have all button-up shirts, right? She can't just pull anything over her head. It would just never go over her nose. Okay, so, I remember part one when you said three yards. In my head, I somehow converted that to three centimeters. But I have just okay. done the math. So three yards is 274.32 centimeters. A banana is about 13 centimeters. 
So if we are using a banana for scale, the princess's nose is about 21 bananas long. <laughs> That's 21 bananas. She has a 21 banana long nose. Thank you so much for doing that conversion that... <laughs> I don't. That I makes just, it so much better. It's because I cannot like m- numbers to me. They go right over my head. So when I saw two hundred seventy-four yes. centimeters, I was like, "All right, what's that? Like an arm length?" Just because, exactly. as a child, I remember the ruler, and I remember a ruler is about thirty centimeters. So I'm like, I know the length of a ruler, but anything past length of a ruler, I have no idea what a size is. No concept. So if someone tells me like, "Oh, is. this is about this many centimeters," I have. Like, nothing happens in my head. But if you tell me, oh, this is, like, a banana wide or, like, this is about... Like, I... Like, that kind of stuff, I'm like, oh, okay, I can visualize it. So... Yeah, exactly. Just to make sure everyone understands, I had to do the banana conversion (laughs) because, to me, 274 centimeters, I'm like, all right, that's a big nose. We we know we love big nose people. As someone who has a long nose, I understand the struggle. But But this is another level. But this is okay. like how does she enter a room? Because by the time she enters a room, her nose is in the room first. So does she have to like does she have to like come in and then like pivot to get in side? I don't know. I don't think she can be inside. Like, how can she operate in close quarters? I think you're just putting up a really large tarp over a large area and just, like, this is this is the area you can operate in. Like, that's, that's all you can do. <laughs> putting up walls is just mean to her at that point. Yeah, I, I have no idea. Like, I... And the thing is, the story has been very specific, whereas a lot of other stories aren't that specific. They just say in a fortnight, in a week, in a day... You know, she had a long nose, she had long hair, she was beautiful. This one tends to give us some exact details, like the Thursday thing we talked about in episode one. Yeah. Um, and now the three yards thing with her nose. So someone is sitting there and they're putting these details in there for a reason. So And I am here for it. Uh, yeah, I think that but I mean, on the other hand, they give us lots of details about this three yard nose that coming on the Thursday, but our protagonist does not have a name. So <laughs> we're very picky and choosy with what kind oh. of information we'd like in this book. Yeah, no, but I love it. Like, and they're very clear. Like, they repeat it several times in the story that she does have a nose three yards long. It's not a typo. Yeah, I believe you. <laughs> Has the term yards changed at all since the story might have been written? Or is that generally still the same? Um, it could be a, one of those, like, lost in translation things. Mm. Do we have anyone from Norway that listens to this show? Because I would love to know, uh, are your yards somehow different from our yards or our centimeters? Because we'd love to understand. Let us know uh, how you think this might work. Uh, Is it a mistranslation? Or does she just have to have a really special castle built for her to, like, accommodate for her 21 banana long nose? So Scandinavia uses the metric system. And it seems to be it is the same source as the English metric system, as in it came from the Roman source. 
but it does say they had different values in the past, whereas they're standardized now. So it might be that it was it was something different. I think we could still go off of what you told us. Twenty-one bananas. You heard it here first, kids. This twenty-one banana nose girl, woman, princess. I feel sorry for this prince, man. I think that because we're meant to believe that you know the the queen, the stepmom, and this princess are evil beings. They might be trolls, and Scandinavian trolls do have those famously long noses. So it could just be an allusion mm. to the fact that they are either part troll or fully troll and meant to make them look more like monsters or allude to the way they are monsters without actually saying, like, oh, this they're trolls. Mm. Okay. Interesting. But going back to our story, <laughs> Thordotter is asking this old woman under a cliff if she knows her prince who is supposed to marry with this 21 banana long nose princess the old woman unconcerned with this girl's abruptness says how did you come to know the man perhaps you are the girl he is meant to marry destiny and choice are always fascinating topics and this fairy tale feels surprisingly forward at times with its thinking the old lady is implying that our heroine is destined to be with the prince and for a time, that was true, but not because Thordotter chose it for herself. Rather, she was pushed into it by obligation. But now she is free to walk away from him, but she is now making the choice to find him and ultimately choosing him for herself. She definitely is going on this quest out of love for him and choosing him, and she will probably have to face outside conflicts. But she is choosing to do so, which is something we don't often see with our female protagonists. At no point does she reflect on the state of losing her items and her castle or the riches, and instead, she focuses on losing her lover. However, I do need to ask you if she would have still gone after him had she not seen his beautiful face. This is the age-old question. Is it shallow or is it love? <laughs> and the answer is, in fairy tales, beauty equals goodness, so she's choosing a good person because he's beautiful <laughs> i mean i'll take that as an answer i'll take that as an answer <laughs> i i mean that's that's the best i got right now and this idea of her choosing is cemented in the next line of the text that just says yes she was she was meant to be with him in one of the versions of this fairy tale that i read they do have three daughters together so they've been together for a considerably long time and they have a bit more of an emotional and physical connection through their offspring than they do, I think, in this one, where it doesn't seem like they've spent that much time together. So it could just be that, depending on which version of the fairy tale you read, it might seem that she's shallow, or she's literally going after the father of her children, the husband she's known for, let's say, three-ish years at that point. So it depends. Either way, it is... I love it. I love this, like, story. It's so cute. <laughs> This is what fairy tales are about. It's this romantic notion of magic and that there's one person for you and you can go just on an epic quest to find them. So it's you, is it? Said the old woman. Well, all I know about him is that he lives in a castle east of the sun and west of the moon and that you'll get there too late or never, but still you may borrow my horse and you can ride him to my next neighbor. Maybe she'll be able to tell you about him. 
And when you get there, just give the horse a switch under the left ear and beg him to be off home. And you can take this golden apple along with you. A very surprisingly helpful old lady under Cliff if I ever saw one. Well, in the original Cupid and Psyche tale, the only woman who can help Psyche is Venus, or Aphrodite, and she's famously the one who received the old golden apple from Paris, which started the Golden War. So maybe this old lady is supposed to be a metaphor for Aphrodite here, because apples are the symbol of her and her specific form of love. We do discuss Aphrodite and the golden apples with Jessica Caravaggio in our episode on Persephone and Hades, so if that's a symbol you want to take a look in depth on, you can always take a look at that episode. However, I will touch upon the fact that the golden apple, which is a symbol of love, can also be a dangerous symbol. It was used by the goddess of discord to cause strife and to cause one of the greatest ancient wars of all time. And then we also have the imagery of the poison apple from Snow White. So maybe this old lady isn't exactly as helpful as she seems? Dun dun dun, we shall find out. I just don't trust old ladies in fairy tales. I have mixed feelings. They are never just a neutral force. They are either there to be your downfall or there to, like, help you up, you know? But I am a big fan of them because then I get to pull up my old lady voice. (laughs) We love the old lady voice. Fox, you may not trust this old lady, but Thor daughter does. So she rides the horse for a long, long time before eventually finding another old lady under a cliff playing with a golden carding comb. Uh, what's a carding comb? So a carding comb is used to separate flax and wool in order to get it ready for spinning. It is traditionally a domestic female item, and according to the ancient Greek writer Herodotus, it was also used as a torture device. Oh. Just like our apple, our second item has a double meaning that is quite insidious if you think about it. So I'm still on the fence whether I trust these old ladies or not. I'm not going to lie. I did not know what a carding comb was. And so I just thought it was like something used like with playing cards. And I thought, oh, so she's getting a snack and something to go along with games. (laughs) Sounds fun. It's essentially just like a comb that has four or five or something. Um nails or prongs i guess and you use it to run to run it through flax to make it smooth there's also ones that have lots and lots of different prongs so you can use it to brush things out it depends on which one you're talking about but it was definitely used as a torture device to skin people yes there's that well thor daughter does not seem concerned by this and she just asked the lady if she knows of her prince, and she, of course, gives all the details. But this old lady seems to know as much as the first one did. But this old lady thinks that her neighbor might know more. Presumably, this is a different neighbor from the first neighbor. So she lends Thor daughter her horse and gives her the golden carding comb and lets her be on her way. The third neighbor does not know any more than the others, but she thinks the east wind will know more. And like those before her, she lends Thordaughter a horse and gives her a gift. Maybe you'll find a use for this, she says as she casually hands her a golden spinning wheel. Okay, so Fox, tell me what's the awful thing about this gift. 
<laughs> I don't want to be a downer, but for every me. gift she's getting is a domestic gift that's associated with women, but that also has a fairly dangerous history. I'm not sure if it's just a coincidence. Like someone's like, oh, we'll just give her these like fairly traditional female gifts, like a carding of comb and an apple and a spinning wheel. And I'm just over here like, ah, yes, murder and torture. And I was like, gold, <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, spinning wheels, everyone almost always knows the dark side of spinning wheels because we see it in such popular tales like Rumpelstiltskin and Sleeping Beauty where the spinning wheel is the cause of misfortune. I don't want to think negatively of people, but in of total, the three ladies have given Thor daughter some random but very pointed gifts. And I'm sure they'll come in handy later. Otherwise, they're just bulking her down with all these random stuff like, oh, you're on a quest? <laughs> Here, go spin some flax instead. Go make a coat. However, it is also interesting that she meets three old ladies. Well, no one is surprised to hear about the rule of threes at this point because we talk about it so often. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But three old ladies in general are often associated with the fates. In Norse mythology specifically, the three goddesses are known as the Norn, and they weave the golden web of fate and destiny. So the fact they're giving her these golden items it might be that they're playing a hand here and they're helping her out in a way that we don't understand just yet. But they're sealing her fate. And it's interesting you bring that up because as we mentioned earlier, the first one said maybe you're the one that the prince is meant to be with. And the second one also parrots this saying, well, maybe you're the one who's supposed to be the prince. Well, the third one just says, oh, yeah, you're the one who's meant to be with him. Go on your way. Like They talk about it as such a matter of fact. Uh, They ask her a question, but they don't really wait for the answer. They just kind of like, yep, go on your way, continue your quest, no big. It does seem like they aren't just there as random old ladies that happen to live close to each other and all happen to have these golden items. It does seem like they are planted there for a specific reason. So once again, she rides for a long, long way. And after many days of weary traveling, arrives at the house of the East Wind. What do you think? the east wind's house would even look like i imagine it would be quite drafty well if you want to know more about the winds stick around later and you might find out Ooh. well the east wind has heard more than the old ladies about the prince who now lives in the castle east of the sun and west of the moon alas he didn't know the way there for he had never blown so far but he did offer to take her to his brother, Westwind, who is stronger and may know more. So Thordaughter got on the Eastwind's back and they took off in a whoosh. Sadly, Westwind didn't know the way to the castle either. So he took her to their older brother, Southwind, who also didn't know the way. I am feeling a trend here. <laughs> so Southwind took Thordaughter to the eldest and strongest brother, Northwind. The North Wind told her that he had only been to the castle east of the sun and west of the moon once before, and afterwards he was exhausted for days. But if she was willing to ride his, on his back, he would take her there. Of course, she agrees, as she is still quite desperate to be back with her prince. And so the wind takes off, traveling a great distance with such speed. The North Wind asks Thor daughter if she was afraid but she was not. This is another interesting reoccurring theme in this story. People keep going other way and asking Thor daughter if she is afraid, 
but she always answers honestly that she isn't. It's probably part of her journey as a female protagonist that she has to keep reaffirming the fact that she's still doing this. She's still choosing to do this. She's making this self-sacrifice. She's going all of this way. Mm -hmm. And I think it's maybe not so much as a check-in, but it's people making sure she's still committed to this. It's a bit different because I feel like no one ever really asks the male hero, like, are you sure? Are you ready? Can you think you can do this? Are you afraid? There's so much more self-doubt for female protagonists. There might be. It could also just be her role as, you know, his wife or this female companion to the prince where she needs to reaffirm that she's still committed to him because she did betray his trust in a way. So it needs other characters are trying to reaffirm, okay, is she still into this? Does she still want to do this? And the original story, the Psyche and the Cupid one, Venus specifically set out really hard tasks for her so that she would give up, that she would lose her resolve and just stop. Because once you make something very difficult, most people at least will end up being like, all right, I don't want this enough. So it could just be reaffirming her overall commitment to him. That's really sweet. <laughs> it's like, you sure? Are you sure? You really yeah, want to uh... date him. You really want to marry him. It's like the best friend. Like, are you sure about this guy? Like, is he really worth it? Like, girl? Well, I think if she had doubts or she wasn't too sure, I feel like she would have already left when he disappeared. That would have been her out to just go back home. Yeah. Like, she didn't owe him anything, really. No, and it wasn't her curse, in a sense. It was his curse. And she was there to help him break it. But at no point in this version of the story, at least, do we see that she has any kind of long-term commitment to him. It's just that he's beautiful and he sleeps with her. Finally, after a long flight, they reached the island where the castle was and they proceeded to crash land right outside the castle. The next morning, Thorodotter sits outside a castle window and starts playing with the golden apple. The princess with a nose that is three yards long or 21 bananas long and who is to have the prince sees this and asks Thordaughter what she wants for the golden apple. She says she would like to see the prince that lives in the castle and be with him that night. Mm, that can be arranged, says Princess Longnose. So she got lucky. She just casually, you know, playing with the golden apple as one does. And she happens to be noticed by the one person who can help her get what she wants. Very convenient, um, but this is a weird deal. Why not just say, I want to talk to him? That would be different than spend the night with him, which you might have that aloneness, but then you can just talk to him right then, then and there and be like, yo, I'm here. Hi. It is a little bit weird that she says, I want to be with him that night, because that does imply, you know, something a bit more than just, I need to speak to him, I need to see him. It is interesting, though, that the princess, Princess Longnose, does allow her to do so. So Princess Longnose is part of the archetype for the imposter bride or false bride. In these stories, the false bride is easily tricked for material goods and gives the real bride access to the groom. This can obviously be seen in this interaction, that the false bride only cares about really the status of having the prince, the wealth reasons, maybe he's really good looking, but that she doesn't have any true feelings for him because she can be easily bought. However, Thor daughter, by asking to spend the night with him, she's kind of claiming the fact that she is his true wife. She is his original wife because they did get married in the sense that 
she moved to his castle and I don't know if they had any kind of you know ceremony but for the past little while she was his one true wife in the sense that they lay together and they had a home together. So here I think she's just claiming what was originally hers because she only saw him at night so maybe she's only used to seeing him at night. Well when you put it that way fine it makes sense but if I were her, I'd just be more concerned of getting a message to him so we can get out of this situation quicker. I would not be wanting to beat around the bush about it. I'd be like, yo, I'm here. Let's go. Let's get out of here. Well, she's at the palace of a witch who's crazy, it seems, and who put this curse on the prince in the first place. So I think her being a bit elusive, like, oh, I just want to spend the night with the prince, is a bit less threatening than just straight up saying, I'm here to rescue him. I would love that if nothing. <clears throat> if just the next scene was just her fighting, like, the princess and being like, yo, I can get past you easily because you got this long nose and I'll just go get my prince and be out of here, please. Yeah, it just seems like I think for this story, it's not really one where I think we're going to get much action in that sense, in the sense that she's going to, you know, fight the dragon to get her prince back, go on a quest where she actually does much. It's just she's relying on other I mean, people, to her credit, seems. she is gone on a long quest. You know, she had to do a lot to get here. Yes, and that's perfectly reasonable that she went on this long quest. And kudos to her for actually sticking by when things got really hard and it seemed impossible. She kept going. She kept trusting people. And it's kind of like the Cinderella trope where her kindness is what gets her through it, not any kind of big moment where, you know, she claims the prince as her own. So this in itself is enough for this story. But it seems to be a reoccurring thing where we're just not going to get that big fighting moment. This is what we're going to be dealing with throughout the entire story. Mm-hmm. True to Princess Longnose's word, Thordotter was able to exchange the golden apple and was then led to the prince's room where she found him just fast asleep like a baby. So she calls to him and she shook him and cried and grieved but this guy's like in a deep sleep like one of those really good deep sleeps he's just sawing off logs just nothing wakes him so when morning came he was still asleep and thor daughter was presumably exhausted trying to wake him up and she was escorted out by long nose herself it didn't really go over the way she thought it would this whole process repeats once more, this time in exchange for the golden carding comb. Unsurprisingly, the second time yields the same results, and the prince is asleep, she can't wake him, and she's tossed out once more. So the process begins for the third time, this time in exchange for the golden spinning wheel. However, this night, the prince was awake. You see, there were some Christians who were taken there and they overheard a woman crying and praying in the prince's room for two nights in a row. And they told the prince this. Again, the story has a bunch of random details it throws in here. And it's like, and then there were Christians here. <laughs> I was confused. I had to do a double take, make sure I read everything properly. <laughs> so in a lot of these fairy tales, it almost takes us by surprise when we see references to Christianity or any kind of non-pagan religion because we're so used to seeing, I guess, the original oral tradition of the tales come along. But it's not as surprising as it would seem. When Christianity was spreading throughout the world, there was a gradual and very almost obvious shift in fairy tales to include religious icons or references or to get away some of the more demonic aspects of them. 
And fairy tales in general, we have to keep in mind, are just a melting pot of the different influences. So here we can see allusions to Christianity, Norse mythology, Greek mythology. With literature as a whole, it all just becomes one scene or one landscape of what the world was like at the time or what the world is like for whoever's retelling the story. So it could be, you know, Christians were there in the beginning when like, they added this, when they first created the story. It could have been they've added it since. It's just one of those things where we don't know, for example, when it was specifically added into the story, but we do know that this means that Christianity had spread to this part of the world, as did the Greek myths, as did the Norse myths. So for me as a whole, I really like these little references to specific things because it gives us kind of an insight to what's going on in the world at the time, and it helps us kind of date the story as well. It really does, but... For the prince, it's a good thing these Christians were there because <laughs> they were able to relay this information. And so he was able to realize that Big Nose herself was slipping him a sleeping potion, which he then avoided on the third night. So the prince, once again, is so good and gives us another exposition dump, which I love. I'm here to understand what's going on. He explains to Thor daughter that the next day is his wedding day. But it's all right, because he has a plan to get out of it. He will tell his stepmother that his bride will need to prove herself by washing the shirt that has the three drops of tallow on it. They will agree to this inane requirement, but what they don't realize is that trolls like them will never be able to wash out the tallow. The prince will then tell them that he will only marry the one who can wash out his shirt. And so the prince married his true love. The Whirlpool 5000 washing machine. Who could have washed? <laughs> who could wash a couple of baskets of clothes at a time in as little as 15 minutes? But seriously, why is a cleaning a shirt the pivotal point of the story? <laughs> so far, I feel like domestic work and domestic symbols have been a central theme. So I'm not that surprised, to be fair, that she has to prove herself in a very feminine, traditional way. Ugh, As I, but it's so boring. It is, it's a bit boring. Like, we can't all fight monsters and, you know, have combat to win our princes. Sometimes it's self-sacrifice, prayer, and cleaning a shirt to prove your role. And that's fine. It's a bit boring, but it's okay. I feel like that'd be the point I walked away. I'd be like, nah, I'm good. See ya. It's like, I traveled <laughs> all fun. this way, all this way to do your laundry. Anyways, I just, I was like, why are we ending this on a cleaning competition? But all right. Fox, you are you can see this coming. And I'm just like, what? Cleaning? But luckily for the prince, Thordotter's not like me and is happy to go along with this plan. And the plan actually works. He gave the bizarre challenge to the long-nosed bride. And when she tried to clean it out, the tallow just turned black and spread throughout the shirt. The stepmother also tried, but the shirt just became darker and darker. So he asked Thor daughter if she was able to clean the shirt. And as soon as she dipped it into the water, the shirt became white as snow. Of course, the Whirlpool 5000 was very hurt that she never had a chance with the prince. <laughs> and she went running out of the room. It's a tragedy, really. After that, the stepmother and the princess with the stupid long nose, along with the rest of the trolls, started raging to the point where they all exploded on the spot. 
Then the prince and Thor daughter freed all the captured Christians and proceeded to loot the castle of all the gold and silver. With that, they flew as far away as they could from the castle that lay east of the sun and west of the moon. And they all lived happily ever after. Yay! Yay! So it, did, it, it ended on an anticlimactic point of the uh, washing competition, but we did get an explosion at the end, so that was fun. We did, so at least there's that. This was a fun story. I, I was so thrilled to have found the story and just read it all the way through. Like, it just keeps getting more and more bizarre, but yet it is 100% like, a, it hits all the classic beats of a fairy tale, which I love. And it's just, it feels good at the end of the day. It's like, oh, good one. She ended up with the prince. There was an exploding troll. What more do you want from a story, really? <laughs> this is all you want. It's all I'm asking for, man. Bit of an explosion, bit of romance. It's good. I'm happy with it. I love it. 10 out of 10. We'll read again. 10 out of 10. We'll read it again. Absolutely. Fox, what do you think of this story? In general, I really like the fact that they looted the castle at the end. (laughs) I thought that was a very good human touch. Because even though they're supposed to be the female protagonist, the male hero, they're supposed to be the the highlight of goodness and good vibes and everything like that. The fact that they just loot the castle at the end is hilarious to me because it shows like that very practical nature of mankind where it's like, well, I could just leave this castle, but I could also take all of the good stuff. Hero of good vibes raids castle. (laughs) I don't understand why they don't just live at the castle because I would love to just be like, where do you live? Oh, you know, east of the sun, west of the moon. And then you can never. Do you know how hard it was to get out there? I would not leave. That was such a journey. Yeah, I'd be like, you know what? This is our home. I've just traveled all the way here. I'm not doing this in reverse. So we'll just live here. And plus, it's a perfectly good castle. There's perfectly good, you know, silver and gold. Why not just stay here? That'd be my conclusion, concluding thoughts. Maybe there was too much, like, troll goop from the explosion. <laughs> you know? Maybe that just, just brought that real estate price way down. I love that. <laughs> They're like, now nah, it's just... Raid and go. Although I don't know how they carried all of that gold and silver out of there. <laughs> now that we've raided this story of all of its good parts, I think it's time we move over to the five fantastic finds. Number one. The story of East of the Sun and West of the Moon has risen to popularity recently with Sarah J. Mass's work, A Court of Thorns and Roses, where the protagonist, Farah, is taken by the beast fairy creature Tamlin to his court in the fairy kingdom. Farah has to break a seven-year curse that was put on Tamlin, and when she fails, he is taken to the False Bride, who is the so-called Queen. Farah has to undergo a series of trials in order to free him. However, unlike Thor daughter, Freya has some physical trials she must go through in order to prove herself and her love for Tamlin. The other fairy tales that align with this very popular book series include Beauty and the Beast, as well as the Scottish fairy tale of Tamlin. In this ballad, named The Ballad of Tamlin, Janet becomes pregnant with the child of an elf who has angered the queen of the fairies. She needs to pull him off his horse during the fairy procession and hold on to him, no matter what he turns into. Eventually, he turns into a piece of coal, and she throws him into the water, after which he appears as a man. A lot of modern YA novels 
draw upon fairy tales, folklore, and other kind of tropes to build their stories. Some people will say this is copying or repetition, but most literature falls into this cycle of repetition. Number two. As we have learned in today's tale, knowing how to properly clean a shirt could be the difference in whether you can be with a handsome prince or your long journey being in vain. So to make sure I had my bases covered, I looked into how to best clean magical candle wax out of my beloved's shirt. Sadly, my research on magical candle wax was quite limited, and you'll probably have to rely on the power of true love for that. But if it's regular candle wax, I've got you covered. First, let the wax harden. Once in a solid state, scrape off of it as much as you can. You might want to use a dull kitchen knife for this part. But if the shirt is a delicate, you might want to use a spoon instead. Next, you'll want to heat the wax again to remove the rest. Place a piece of parchment paper on top of where the remaining wax is, and use an iron set to low. After the wax is heated, remove the paper and you should see only a small stain. Use stain remover and then wash as normal. And you're good to go. Hopefully you and your prince will live happily ever after. Number three. The four winds are a great help to our hero in this story, but we don't learn a lot about them. Specifically, in Norse mythology, there are lots of references to the wind and sky. Jord was the god of the wind and the sea, as well as the father of the twin gods, Freyr and Freya. Nord was from the Vanir, a race of gods linked to wealth and fertility and in opposition to the Iser the warlike principal pantheon of gods, which included Odin and Thor. The sources for the pre-Christian Germanic beliefs on the Vanir are not complete, and so there is some controversy on what the true divide between the two groups truly was. In relation to further personification of the four winds, there are the four dwarves, with names literally meaning northern, southern, eastern, and western. In the Pros Edna, they uphold one point of the skull of Ymir, which creates the heavenly dome. Number four. After I read this tale, I immediately went searching for a film adaptation. There were so many fun elements that I felt would make for a great movie, but I was sorely disappointed to find out that there were none. Now, mind you that the Golden Compass movie does have similar story beats, but alas, that story was based on a similar Norwegian fairy tale, White Bear King Valmon, which was also penned by Asbjornsson and Mo. While there has yet to be a major motion picture based on today's story, we actually came very close to having one. In 1983, Don Bluth's production company released their first animated movie, The Secret of Nymph. While that movie would go on to be critically acclaimed in a cult classic, it didn't do great at the box office, but that didn't stop Don Bluth and his team from moving forward with their second film, being East of the Sun and West of the Moon. Sadly, funding would get pulled midway through production. Screenshots of the movie have since surfaced on the internet, and you can see what it would have looked like. However, Don Bluth would have taken a different spin on the story. According to the 1991 book, Animation of Don Bluth by John Crawley, the story would take place 2,500 years in the future, and the boy would be an ancient alien from outer space. I am not making this up. Don Bluth said that the original story was too convoluted, and as we all know, adding sci-fi elements makes stories much easier to understand. There was also a sequence where they would go to Atlantis. Why? I, I don't know. But what I wouldn't have given to see a movie like this. It would be like Atlantis meets Road to El Dorado meets Treasure Planet. Um, it's not the adaptation I want, 
but it's so weird. And also, with Don Bluth's track record, I'd be still very interested. So in case you're wondering, Bluth eventually teamed up with Steven Spielberg to direct the An American Tale in 1986 and then The Land Before Time in 1988. He's also known uh, for directing All Dogs Go to Heaven and Anastasia. Personally, I was really shocked to find out this guy was connected to so many of my old childhood favorites and that he almost made an animated adaptation of the story. And number five. Storytelling is a series of patterns told over and over in different ways, and this story is no different. The predecessor of many tropes comes from Apuleius's Metamorphosis, a 2nd century AD novel where Apuleius himself is transformed into a donkey and listens to an old woman telling a younger one the story of Psyche and Eros. Psyche is more than just a story about a hidden bridegroom and a wife's quest to free him. It is another one of Venus's rage myths. The goddess of beauty is known for love, but she is equally known for the way she spurs discord and hate, specifically out of jealousy. Psyche was a princess who was known for her exceptional beauty and people began calling her Aphrodite, which seriously annoyed the real Aphrodite. Not only were people bringing gifts to Psyche, they were neglecting Venus's shrines, offerings, and rituals. In violent retaliation, she sent Eros to shoot Psyche with an arrow of love to make her fall in love with the ugliest beast known to man. Except, when he saw her, he fell in love with her. Psyche and Cupid's tale is well known, and to find out more about this trope, along with the extent of Venus's rage myths, check out our website, www.talesfromtheenchantedforest.com, for the blog post on this episode. If you want to hear more from us, join us on our Twitter community at From Enchanted. Or, if you're old school like Sparrow, you can email us at talesfromtheenchantedforest at gmail.com. We'd also love to hear your questions, comments, and suggestions, so if you have anything to share, please don't hesitate. Also remember, travelers, if you enjoyed what you heard today and what we do here, please give us a review on whatever platform you use to listen to our podcast. It helps the podcast grow and reach new travelers to join us on these adventures. We'll give you a thank you shout out and our eternal gratitude. And remember, there's always a place for you in the Enchanted Forest. Thank you.